millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. Badger Takeover. We live F1. Welcome to the Podcasting Shed. This is Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by SpannersReady.com, We Live F1, and tonight, BadgerGP.com, F1 Isn't Boring. I'm your host, Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Hey, it's going pretty well. How about yourself, Spanners? Well, I have figured out that the bird flu that I have is real, and it is definitely bird flu. You have bird flu. Blue. Yeah, yeah. I know the government isn't talking about it, but 10 years ago, people got sick for like four days and then they got better and there were like national campaigns about it. Coughs and sneezes spread diseases. Now, complete silence and people have coughs for basically all of February and January. Uh, and you're sure it's not just, oh, say, man flu? Well, look, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, as you know, uh, but this is this is definitely a conspiracy. This and, of course, the 2016 World Championship. Uh, pardon me a moment while I invest in some uh, aluminum foil. It was just his engine, Matt. Why just his engine? Why? Let's see, there you go. Uh, slippery slope, my friend. Slippery slope. This week, we will talk F1 news and talk a little bit about the process of being an F1 writer and website curator. And once again, we'll explore how I'm right and Chris Stevens is wrong. So for those of you just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted by SpannersReady.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or in the car or at work. Matt, should we bring a few special guests on this week? Yes, even the ones that don't make background noise. <laughs> Joining us first, as well, becoming a regular, becoming a regular on Missed Apex podcast, it is the editor of Badger GP, the esteemed Chris, Chris, Craig Norman. How's it going, Craig? Well, I'm so much of a regular that you forget my name, Spanners. That's that's a little bit. I mean, <laughs> that's a little bit insulting, but I'll, I'll take it on the chin. You're saying take it on the chin. You look a little hurt. I suggest you pull your socks up, you big girl. <laughs> I will. I will. After I'm going to have a, a a fun evening of plenty of this. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on and give us giving us an insight into um you know re- being the face on the internet of where people go to look for F1 news, uh, interviews, reporting, writing, curating all of that stuff, social media. Uh, so thank you very much for taking the time. You're welcome. And you've brought along one of your writers and associates, Autosport Junior, 
Rob Megawatts. How's it going, Rob? Is that my official title? That's what I've gone with. Rob, Rob Megawatts. Okay, I'll take that. Honoured to be here. We'll catch up with you again in a bit. And rounding us off is another Autosport Junior and host of Lean Angle podcast, panellist on Missed Apex podcast, Spanners Log, and also, what's the other one? E-Radio show, Chris Stevens. Chris, old off and wrong Stevens. How's it going, Chris? Hey, it's good. I remembered the point that I was going to make in the last show at about three o'clock in the morning after we recorded it. And I was going to bring it up, but I forgot to write it down. So, sorry. (laughs) Once again, proving you're a fantastic journalist, but absolutely lousy on a podcast. We're going to catch up with the Badger GP crew and talk about being an F1 conduit. But first... Big Dirty News. Well, it's not really news, is it, Chris Stevens? That once again... I'm right and you're wrong. Do you know what it's about this time? Uh, 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 well, I'm sure it could be many, many things uh, that you think that you have a more entitled opinion than than myself. But go on, enlighten me as to what I'm wrong about this time, Spanners. Well, you think there should be no rules, no consistency, and people should just make things up as they go along on race day. So we're coming back to the whole racing incidents thing are we yeah that's right because the inaugural fia race director seminar has taken place in geneva uh, this weekend and it's brought together over 160 officials from across the motorsport world this is on the fia.com website the sessions were designed apparently to be educational and engaging as they identified key areas for analysis and examined examples from the viewpoint of a variety of roles like I said, play the referee, uh, including not only race official roles, but also taking into account the perspective of drivers, team managers and the media. There was also a number of interactive case studies which challenged the stewards and race directors to consider situations from different disciplines in light of the discussions from their various panels. The FIA Race Director Seminar and FIA International Stewards Programme will become compulsory for all FIA officials as of next year. These first editions have laid the foundations for even better cohesion in both racing direction and stewarding. So basically, Chris, this is what I was calling for, which was more consistency uh, among the stewards, more consistency on uh, decisions, and more, crucially, direction on how those decisions should be made. Yeah, I'm definitely all for more um, consistency. And, uh, I mean, the fact that we have a different driver representative Grand Prix to Grand Prix... Um, you know, that's, that's your first problem right there. You've got different drivers with different opinions looking at different, uh, incidents and coming up with different results. So the fact that we've got a, a kind of system now that teaches people, uh, what the agenda is and what the system is, that's a much better way to go about it. Uh, Craig, you're a, you're a wizened old hand at F1. Do you, do you agree with the Chris Stevens approach of just let them race? Just let them be. Just let them do whatever they want. Uh, I think you have to meet the common ground of having loose rules and restrictions that they have to abide by, like track limits, for example, that they have to stick to. But I think it's um, you don't go down the route of having a free-for-all. You need to have some sort of guideline that they follow. See, Chris, you're an idiot. That is exactly what I'm saying. Well, I have a question for you, then, just to terrify you. Did anybody besides me watch any of the uh, Bathurst race last weekend? Yes, I did, and I loved it. Yeah, no, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But here's two things. Here's the number one thing. I think the FIA need to be on top of quick decision-making. Every single time there was an incident, 
five minutes later, there was a decision from race control. There was none of this, eh, you know, we'll fix it after the race kind of foo-foo-rah going on. They were decisive and immediate. And now this, to me, was also the most interesting thing because, Chris, you saw, but everybody else, it's become a thing in Formula One to get inside on the apex, to get your nose and wheel alongside in the apex. And then if the guy comes over on you, Ah, if you time it right, you shove them out of the way. If you time it wrong, maybe you both crash. But generally speaking, that's been viewed as a racing incident. And what interested me very much about all of the decisions at Bathurst was that every single time that happened, the person coming up the inside got nailed with a drive-through penalty at least and accused of poor driving standards. So I just thought I might throw that out there for consideration among the Formula One audience. Well, you could say there was an incident in the daytime of 24 hours and the leaders hit each other towards the end of the race. And uh, was it, I got one of the cars spun, but there was no incident. There was no penalty laid down for it because of what happened. So I can see where you're coming from with that, Matt, but there has to be a consistency of it all. That Well, that's I guess that's what I'm saying about Bathurst is that what impressed me was that every single time that happened, and I'm not talking the cars next to each other, which is yeah, this, a little bit more of the Daytona thing you were referencing. I'm talking there's there's two points there. The first point is getting the decision done as quickly as possible, which I could wholeheartedly agree with you with. The second thing point there is the drivers themselves and their conduct on the track. If you have a car going down the inside of the other car, the one that's being overtaken does have to concede in a way. And if you're going to tell any of these drivers of the current crop that they've got a conceded position, they're going to go off the track before they do anything else. They're going to make contact before they do anything else, before they concede. And that's that's a little bit of the driver standards that seems to have evolved through the consistent shift of rules and regulations and and the tightening of what's going on, especially the Verstappen rule coming into effect. You've got to look at how these drivers need to start saying, oh, actually, this guy's got me. I'll slip in behind him and maybe I'll try and get him in the next corner. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, what was nice about it was that you could watch five minutes of the race. If you watched one incident, you knew how they would all turn out immediately. They were fair about it. If it was just your nose alongside and you were in there, See, this and you wanged into the guy, then it was your fault. If you were alongside, the then you were expected to concede room, as one should, unless, of course, one is racing on an Xbox. I, I just, it's the consistency for me. I think, for me, when you've got things like vague rules that can be taken advantage of, when you've got gentlemen's codes, they can, there's this line between, oh yeah, he's being ruthless, and hey, hey, that's that's out of order. And that line is different for everyone. And it, it almost seems like, have you ever been on a karting track where it's just far too narrow to overtake? The only way to get past someone is often just to not break, shove it down the inside, barge into them and go away. And everyone will have a different take on that. People will say rubbing is racing or someone will say, uh, you know, you used him as a brake, which you definitely have to do on a lot of tracks. So it ends up being you have to be rude and not care what people think in order to get by which in a friendly karting scenario, there's social pressure to not be that way. But when it comes to prize money in an F1 championship, you know, that, that social pressure disappears. And we, we can't just have a situation where, you know, it's down to how much of your popularity are you willing to give up to gain a slight advantage. And, and that gets back to my original point before we jump to Rob, is that the thing that impressed me most was how consistent the race director was and how fast they were in issuing these decisions. And I would just say that if they can do it in Australia for a sports car race, there's not really a good reason it can't also be done for Formula One. Yeah, I think part of the problem we've had in, in Formula One, at least, is, uh, as I think 
one of you just said it's it's the consistency i think if we knew that you know a certain thing was was inside the rules or outside the rules it it would take away uh part of the arguments that we have all the time but it's just the, the problem we have is that in in one race someone will get penalized for a move and then the next race that's considered completely fine and what's really strange as well i can't remember the race last year there was one race i'm i'm pretty sure i remember where they decided to to kind of do away with the rules on track limits for one race and i don't really understand that what was the point in that well track limits are pointless rob but while we've got you on can we just point out that this is your <laughs> first see i don't want people to come back on that because people get very angry at me and i was uh, even threatened with ejection from a venue uh, last weekend for saying that track limits are all pointless yeah. just have an inside apex yeah, you, and forget you everything did else. drive a straight line across the grass though spanners didn't you so <laughs> i'd eject you as well allegedly so rob this is your first time ever on any kind of podcast how are you finding it so far uh yeah i'm loving it you you despite being um you know you're a grizzly man you're a grown adult with a beard and everything and uh, and a child and a child that is not yet of the age to defecate on its own yeah but you have been uh you know accepted as part of the autosport junior program very exciting how are you finding that yeah, it's really good. Uh, it's um, it's strange, as you mentioned. I am very, very old. I didn't want to say um, old, but I, uh, <laughs> I think I'm the second oldest on the program. So the junior tag is a little strange, but no, it's fantastic. Uh, Chris also is involved, and um, it's a great opportunity for us to to kind of be kind of schooled in the autosport way and 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 learn how how the pros do it. So yes, it's it's fantastic. And this this is your this is your dream. This is really the thing you want to do. You haven't really got like a dream in retail management, for example. And this is just a hobby. Um, I did work in retail management many oh, wow. years ago. <laughs> That's a fluke. Um, but I I reached the top of that and retired. So quit, I, I quit feel at the like, top. You know, it's time to. And just because just because you ran away after reaching the top doesn't make you any less of a true retail manager. Uh, Craig, you trying to get in? There's nothing wrong with retail management, Spanners. No, no, I, I just said it as an example of a steadfast trade away from the glory of F1 journalism. Uh, let's have a quick look into the chat room then, because Evangelos uh, Estekirtos, probably Greek or something, uh, you have to be rude to be a champion, unless your name is Jensen Button. Uh, and Heartbreak Rich says, in F1, it does seem to be that way. Either you're born rude in F1, or you have to learn to be that way. Paul Wright seems to agree. Most of the champs that I can remember have been absolutely ruthless. Okay, guys, let's go on to McLaren. Does anyone care about McLaren show of hands? Some people do, don't they? Craig Norman, you're a McLaren fan. Oh, well, where'd you read that? <laughs> is, is that wrong? Is that, that wrong? I'm neutral. I'm neutral when it comes to Formula 1 teams. <laughs> uh, I... I admire McLaren for what they've achieved in their time in the sport, but I do half then I feel that their their winter is drawing on so much longer than everyone else's. There's so many little stories that are getting blown up into out of proportion. I mean well, it might be an orange car. It well, might be an orange car. Well hang on it a might minute. Be an orange car. Hang on a minute. See how many times I have to say that before I we realise it's not it's a non story. It might be a zebra car. Yeah, it was for like a day. Uh, anyway, but they haven't helped themselves because, yes, you're right. In this slow news day, they they took they took 45 minutes to tease and announce the name change of their car. They said there's big news coming, and for 45 minutes, and for that time, I mean, it worked. I put, what do you do on Twitter when you click the little bell so that you get a notification when they 
when they do a tweet. And I even click that. You put a notification alert. There we go. That's the one. <laughs> uh, am I the oldest on this podcast? Uh, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> so I even did that. And then to find out it was a name change. Now, for me, okay, maybe I'm not enough of an F1 nerd. I, I couldn't tell you what any F1 car is called at any point. If you say, oh, the championship winning car of Nigel Mansellin, you know, whatever year it was, 1994? 1992, FW14B. Wow. See, I'm judging you right now because I could not care less what the car is called. And there was, I, when I was sitting there going, wow, really? That's all for the name change? They did all that teasing? Some people got very excited. And now I'm starting to think you might be one of those people. Well, yeah, I kind of, the trouble thing with the name chasing is it's so inrooted in, it's so ingrained in McLaren's culture is that the MP4 name, so all the chassis since 1981 had MP4 as the first three letters of it, and then they were numbered. It stood for, originally it stood for Marlboro Project 4, and Project 4 was the um, company that Ron Dennis brought into McLaren to help revive their fortunes. And then the M stood for Marlboro, which was a sponsor, and then they decided to change it to McLaren after a while. It was never really official, but this tag has been with them since 1981, which is a huge time. And if you look at all the cars on their history. You've got the MP44 in 1988, which was dominant, won 15 out of 16 races. You've got the MP42, which is the second car they built, which won three straight championships on different alliterations of the same chassis. So it's 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 ingrained. That little that n- three numbers is ingrained, and it's it's part of the team. And to change it to MCL32, which is next in the line of the of the sequence but it's a small change but i can see where the fans get excited about it because it's it's part of the history of formula one yes and we're also very excited about it because we are all of course mclaren fans and let's not overlook the utter kick in the jollies that was delivered to a now rather defenseless ron dennis as a result of that name change i mean don't you see it as a bit of a uh ahem you are no longer in charge and we are going to tweak you about it as well? Or, or do you just think it was an innocent thing? I think it was, I think you could turn it on his head and say it was a legal thing. Uh, Ron Dennis might have taken that name with him when he left because it was his Project 4 racing team that came into it. He might own the rights to it. So it, it might be a kick in the teeth to him. But then again, uh, his comeback hasn't been as spectacular as he hoped. And if anything, it's been a bit laughable. So uh if a change means a win for them i think they take that they could call it uh timmy mallet for all i care and they could <laughs> win, the, win the grand prix all, all year long and they'd, they'd be delighted with it so a name's a name I think we'd and it's like part of the history that. but yeah <laughs> and that's a true story craig you made it up yourself in the chat room <laughs> matthew graf is saying and mercedes also spent the whole day teasing us that you could enter a contest to design lewis hamilton's helmet livery and i must say that the responses were very very mature all throughout the day twitter grow up we can all draw pictures of that part of the anatomy um craig before i go on to matt with a question the the orange livery thing why is that a big deal and is that just a complete red herring so uh it's it's part of the history of the team as well back in the late 60s um bruce mclaren bruce mclaren's team was bouncing around different color schemes. They had uh, white with green stripes to start with, and then they had uh, red with a pale stripe down the middle, and there wasn't really an, an identity to them. And uh, the team then decided in the late 60s on their Can-Am cars, or their sports cars, to take paint bright orange to make it more noticeable. And that migrated across to the Formula 1 team for about three seasons, the late 60s and to the early 70s. And then Yardley came along to sponsor them and turned it white. So it was it's quite a historic uh, color for the team because it's the first original racing colors. And that colour's um, stuck with uh, the automotive side. So a lot of the McLaren sports cars are launched in orange. Uh, 
Um, so that's it's part of the whole company, but it's never really been part of the Formula One team since 1971 when they went with Yardley, and then they went with Yardley, Marlborough, West. We all know the, the famous McLarens as you go back. So to go back to those roots is a big thing for them. Um, wow. Do you know what? I'm starting to get the feeling you know more about F1 than me. Like, How do you have the time to know all that? That's incredibly incredibly valuable to this show, Craig. So we, we absolutely thank you for that. I know, Matt, you like to talk politics. What is happening with the leaking of staff? There's there's no one left at McLaren. They're all at Williams, basically. Yeah, well, I, I suspect out with the old wind, with the new, to a certain extent. Um, perhaps Zach Brown has made uh, a, a few people less than happy with the way he's intending to do things, and they are looking for more glorious pastures. Or perhaps uh, Williams is now cashing in on all that Botas money, and they're able to afford to go out and get some talent that was previously not available to them as they are no longer restricted to the lowest of hanging fruit, as it were. In any event, what we're talking about, of course, is everyone knows Dave Redding kicking down the exit door and heading over to Williams. Now, this might be a good thing for them because they seem like they've needed some help. But Craig, you look like you have an opinion on it. What is yeah, it? so what I, what, the, only, the only thing I've heard about it is that with Paddy Lowe going to Williams and he's a former McLaren man, is a lot of those guys know him really well. And it seems to be a lot of him just sort of putting a few feelers out to see who he can get from around the team. And a lot of people have sort of jumped ship because they know what Paddy Lowe can deliver at Williams, even though he's not officially at the team yet. Ah, uh, so he's the draw. Yes, indeedy. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Go on, go on, Matt. I was going to say, you know, and Reading was team manager, so that that would be a nice fit for for Williams rebuilding its technical staff. And really, say what you will about Patty Lowe, he knows exactly how Mercedes did what it did, and he's certainly in a, in a position to capitalize on that with Williams. Yep, but, but interestingly, you know, bringing it back to McLaren, yes, Williams have this whole different dynamic. Feels like, and I want to get the opinion of the Autosport Juniors, the little tiny Autosport Juniors, uh, it feels like McLaren is going to be more of the same. And in fact, Zach Brown, Chris, has come out and said he's ruled out McLaren winning races in 2017. Now, that is not good news for the likes of, you know, Fernando Alonso and, and people who've really had this faith that McHonda is going to put together a winning package any minute now. It's it's not good news, but it's not surprising news either. Um, I mean, the Honda engine is still very much in its developmental phase, and actually, it's the twenty seventeen regulations, uh, well, the, the twenty seventeen regulations are going to make life a little bit harder for Honda because I agree. I agree. We're increasing, we're increasing downforce by thirty percent, which means there's going to be more drag on the cars, which means there is more strain on the engines to reach the same sorts of speeds. And actually, that probably does hand the advantage uh, to uh, Mercedes a little bit, who do have the most powerful engine, and it's going to make Honda struggle a little bit more, I feel. That said, aerodynamics has not been McLaren's weak spot exactly over the past couple of years, so it is still a chance for them to make up a little bit of ground, but it's still very much going to be an engine-limited car. I think the interesting thing about Zach Brown saying that McLaren probably aren't going to be winning races uh, this year is, is well, we, we probably don't know yet, but we'll find out soon is what Fernando Alonso thinks about that, because I'm, I'm sure he's, he's probably not massively pleased to hear that, <laughs> no. because I think we'd all probably agree that Fernando Alonso is coming to the end. And, um, you know, I, I personally, I, I think 
this will probably be his last season in Formula One. And really? I think for him to come out now and, and say at the start of the season, we're probably not going to win races this year, that's a big blow to someone like Alonso uh, and, and a big blow to McLaren if they've got any hope of, of getting him to renew because I think he, he'll probably start to lose a little bit of faith. Yeah, well, on the bright side, uh, based on what we're seeing out of Ferrari right now, it, there's a good possibility at least he'll be beating them in a McLaren this year. As it seems that utter disarray and disaster once again are romping around the Marinello proving grounds. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't see Alonso as being done. I think Alonso will be done when he, when he, if he thinks McLaren can't get it together. You could be right. This could be his last season. But if he, I think if he sees hope, he'll stick around because he really, 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 really wants another championship before he uh, walks off into the sunset. I have to agree with Rob, though. I do think this is probably going to be his last season in F1, and he'll probably make his way onto the World Endurance Championship and maybe find a third World Championship there instead. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I agree with that as well. See, I would take that would the bet. My with, guess. I would take the bet with you guys that he will do another season after this. If McLaren are not competitive, he will do another season. He's a physically fit guy. He certainly comes across that way. And, uh, you know, I would like to, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I don't think he's that old. I think he's exactly my age. Uh, and I'm, I'm still fighting fit, kind of, if I'd have spent more time keeping fighting fit, Chris. I don't think it's not his fitness that's the issue. It's just where can he get a competitive car? Does he want to spend the next couple of years driving a midfield McLaren or does he want to go to Porsche in the LMP1 category and win another world championship? Or does he possibly want to stick around and head to Mercedes yep, after yep, they yep, ditch yep. both that's for him once he's out of one. contract with McLaren? I mean, I don't know. Ding, Maybe ding, you ding, think ding, about ding. that before you walked off into the veritable sunset. <laughs> and Alonso versus Hamilton would be in 2018. Yeah, I think people would watch F1 that. F1 deserves that. I, I think, I, I really, honestly, I, I, that's not going to happen. I really don't think. I think everything <laughs> that's come out of Mercedes suggests that as, as much as probably everyone wants to see Alonso in a Mercedes... It ain't going to happen. They're well, not going to take that season. Come on, don't do that to people. Oh, that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay, let, let, let's wait imagine the scenario. Later. It's a great idea, but it's fake news. It's fake news. It's, it's topical. Let's not forget the Vettel's that are contract at the end of, end of the same <laughs> season. So I will call have, this. Have Vettel, Vettel versus have, Hamilton. Vettel does not have the package to face up and square up to Hamilton in a team. He won't do it. There's no way he's going to risk his championship four-time world championship he's got nothing to gain he's got nothing to prove he's four-time world champion he's not going to burst his bubble by going up against lewis and no again, but he could do it it might be it might be uh, all about money for him by that point you never know uh, i find myself having to agree with spanners uh the, the two years at ferrari have not put any luster on vettel's reputation whatsoever okay well, i think i think 2015 was pretty good I think last year he sort of got really frustrated and we saw that. But 2015, he put in some stellar performances in my eyes. Okay, enough. Mm. enough. Uh, I want to talk to BadgerGP.com. Let's play some music. But first, I have an apology. Apologies to everybody because I made a monumental screw up on the feed, Matt. Uh, the Not the last Spanners Log episode, but the one before it, I accidentally put that onto the missed Apex feed and caused a lot of confusion. And people who want to come here and listen to F1 suddenly had to listen to me and Matt talking about 
monthly cycles, relationships, uh, childcare issues, and uh, inevitably politics. Uh, Matt, I, I hope you'll join me in sharing some of that responsibility and not just blame it all on me. Uh, yes, because I'm certainly in charge of putting the episodes <laughs> up in the right place. Fine, it was all my fault. But if I wanted to be super clever, and I promise I didn't do this, that would have been a good way to tell you that we do have a diary show called Spanner's Log uh, that we are doing weekly. Me and Matt host it, and we're joined by many familiar faces. You will know Chris Stevens of uh, of this this podcast here. He does things like telling us what we should do on screen time to enjoy uh, on movies, films, and computer games. It's a, a general interest in diary show where we look at the world around us and look into our own lives as well. We have people like uh, Pete Gaskell came on last week to talk about weird news, Matt. That was a lot of fun. That was very entertaining indeed. He had some truly strange things to talk about. Tanks in petrol stations. Or even my wife comes on as a subject matter expert. So the point is that me and Matt will be joined by people like Simon Dan to talk about astronomy. Go, Matt. Yeah, her subject matter is your shortcomings. Yeah, no, that wasn't why we brought her on. But inevitably, you know, that will obviously come up. That is a, a downside to bringing your wife onto a podcast. So the, the idea is me and Matt hold court and we bring in a lot of interest, interesting guests for you. That is going live on iTunes this week's Spanners Log. So guys, uh, I would really appreciate some support if you could go onto your iTunes app or desktop app and leave us a five-star review. Don't care what you say in the text, you could say, Matt looks like a murderer, because he does, if you look at the live stream. Uh, Spanners is irritating. You can say whatever you want, as long as we get five stars uh, to try and bump us up the US and UK um, iTunes charts. All right. Craig Norman, you're a handsome man. I don't swing that way. That's kind of you to say. I don't swing that way, but if I had to spend a jam-covered evening with another gentleman, you'd be high up on my list. You're also the editor of BadgerGP.com. Just start off by telling us, what is BadgerGP.com all about? So we are a fanzine that has been around for nearly 10 years now. Fanzine. Uh, Fanzine. The term fanzine. It's a fanzine. We're like a webzine. So we're not... That ages you. (laughs) Sorry? That does age you, fanzine. Yes. Does, doesn't it? <laughs> so we're we're all about just bringing really fun, interesting, and informative content about Formula One to the website. Um, just trying to make people see that Formula One isn't boring, which has been our tagline since day one. Um, we do a whole host of things outside of the website. We do events in London, and we look to expand around the country in regards to getting a hundred Formula One fans into a pub to watch the race on a big screen. What? When was we that? Get, um, sorry. When's the last time you did that? Uh, we did one, we did a few start of last year. So we did Australia, which was uh, very early in the morning. And then we did Monaco, I think, but I wasn't involved in that one. So we've done a few. We haven't done any since the summer, um, but we've been doing them since 2010. Wow. Um, well, we if, have, if you have any plan uh, for this year, count me in. Absolutely. Yes. Well, watch this space. There will be some details about them soon coming out. Um, we have a fantasy Grand Prix uh, game, which is kind of like fantasy football, in which you pick teams and drivers and they all score points for you. And we have over 8,000 players, 9,000 players. We also have high-profile players like Johnny Gow, Will Buxton, Simon Lazenby, who have leagues of their own where you can compete against them. We do a, a small merchandise uh, website. We do. Um, we had a logo on the side of a Formula F3 Euro Series car last year, so no we were way. supporting one of the drivers in that series. He was blogging for us, so we do a whole range of things, really. Um, but the main thing people will will know you about is obviously 
you know, you put up a, a news story, so you have a lot of F1 stories coming out for people to, you know, click yes. on. So do you guys, do you focus more on blogging or news? I, I get, you know, I get the feeling that, you know, there's, there's always a personal touch with Badger GP stuff. So you feel like you want, you know, the heart of the writer rather than, you know, copy and paste uh, press release type stuff. Yeah. So uh, I've been involved since 2011 with Badger GP. And when I first came on board, there was a lot of news stories. There was a lot more short but sweet news stories, like a, a desk that you see on a lot of other blogs and sites and things like that. And There's as the years went by, we realized that we weren't getting the traffic we needed to sustain it there. The, the, the work you were putting in wasn't warranting the views we were getting. So we made a conscious decision to stop doing that. And we moved towards more opinion-based pieces, interviews, and uh, interviews, reviews, uh, uh, what's the other thing we do? We do one more thing: historical <laughs> sites, historical pieces as well. Because yeah. you look at Formula One as a as a sport; it's been going since 1950. So you're going to have so many great little stories in there, little nuggets of information. You're going to have drivers that people may never have heard of. And we did a series on a driver called Driver Spotlight, where we did um, we had drivers that just had like, their career explained. So we've we've we branch out into different things almost every year sort of just trying to cover as many bases as possible but i mean 11 years like that's a long time craig i mean what what how was yeah. the how has the landscape changed in that time like not just you know f1 but just you know the way the internet has enabled those activities has changed massively so i honestly think that we're now in a time where um the internet has made formula One so accessible accessible to so many people and when i first started writing about F1, which was 2010. So I started a year before I joined Badger doing it for another site. And you had the core sites dotted around. You had the BBC, you had Autosport, and you had um, F1 Fanatic. And you would go there for news and race reports. And the rest of us were stuck with Twitter, Facebook, and any other sites you could find. That F1 was in such a bubble that not many people didn't take it seriously it was a very serious sport at the time it was a lot of news reports sort of things like that and we tried to break the mold by having a lot of fun things that people may find well if you look back now it's quite cringeworthy some of the stuff we did but at the time <laughs> it was quite funny and um we gained a reputation in doing that and a lot of that humor stuck with us it stays on our twitter feature and race weekends um but at the time you had a lot of people that would come to us and twitter was still in its infancy and people would come to us to read stuff and we get people to retweet things for us and at the time you would think uh, that they were obviously thinking, yeah, I'll do that. And now it's such a micromanaged business that it's social media strategy is the thing that drives websites forward. So now you have to go through so many different channels to find an outlet that way. But back then we got a lot of traction that way and it gave us, got us a lot of eyes on us. We then turned to uh, going to media days for that and like BBC and Skull. When Sky first came along, we were invited to that. So we got interviews that way and then we managed to get opinions and thoughts from and certain personalities out so yeah it's kind of it's changed amazing in an amazing fashion so uh obviously that's 11 years rob have you have you been with badger that same amount of time uh one just one just one year and how do you how do you find you know their ethos because it's probably very different to uh well i'll point to chris because chris does a lot of you know the heavy lifting of f1 german journalism uh you, this is why Chris has got an encyclopedic knowledge because he's there on the top of all the news stories. Badger doesn't really operate that way. How, how have you found it? It's very different. Um, I, I think, you know, as Craig says, you know, there are a lot of sites out there where you can get news. And I know Formula Spy, one of the sites uh, that Chris writes for, you know, is one of those. But Badger's very different. Badger tends to sort of get underneath the skin of the stories 
uh, and sort of delve a bit deeper and add context to some of the things. And, and you know, it, it's really, I would say, I'm slightly biased, but I would say if you're, if you're getting into Formula One, Budge is a really great place to start to help make it accessible for you to kind of understand the stories, the soap opera, the politics, and to kind of link it all together. And then, you know, when you get your news from, from other sites out there or, or on the internet, you know, uh, Badge is a great place to go back and get some opinion. And um, I I really enjoy that side I, of it. I, I saw recently you did a an interview with Sam Bird, who races in Formula E. But, of course, he was obviously yeah. also a Mercedes test driver. I think he did do uh, free practice and stuff like that. Uh, go on, Matt. Daytona. He was at Daytona. Oh, well, there you go. He uh, was. Uh, but... Obviously, you you called him, and then you you know you wrote down that kind of interview. Uh, but how, no, how... I met met him actually. Oh, you met, met him where? Him in London for that interview. Oh wow, yeah. that's amazing. So how does that come about? How do you get an interview with sat face to face with Sam Bird? Well, sometimes um, it, it it kind of varies on who you're who you're trying to speak to. If you're trying to speak to someone who's current, uh, like Sam Bird, someone who's driving at the moment, you you know you normally need to go through their their PR people because you know they'll be very very busy they'll have a schedule that they they you know they'll need to find a slot for you at some point so for someone like sam i got in touch with his pr uh guy at at ds virgin racing and um you know it went from there with some of the other people that i've interviewed maybe some of the people from uh the media um like i've spoken to some of the guys from sky and some of the people who maybe used to race or or you know be involved in f1 you know, you, you can you can kind of often just kind of email them or, or you know get in touch with them on LinkedIn and things like that. And you have to kind of really be direct and just you know ask. Excellent. And in the chat room, uh, people are saying, uh, actually, do you know what chat room? You've gone down a dark path there uh, about badges. So no, I'm not going to entertain that at all. Um, uh, so Paul Stevens' fault. It is. Chris Stevens did start that. Uh, so Craig, how did you personally get started? doing this kind of thing did you just think i have an opinion i'm going to start writing things down or did you you know did you go to journalism school and what do you do to bring i know badger brings through a lot of younger talent before they get whisked away on certain programs not mentioning any names <laughs> uh, so i started out uh, about 10 years ago uh, a friend of mine was doing student radio in bristol and he was just inviting his mates on as friends and uh, as as guests and uh, I went on there once, and within a few weeks, we were tapped up to be doing a podcast for Watford Football Club, which is the club we support at home. And uh, I got into producing that, uh, editing that, putting it online, doing blogs cool. for that. So this is almost full circle for me now, this 10 years later. This explains why you're again. so good on mistake packs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, after about a couple of years, we sort of faded out with that. We we decided we couldn't get, keep that going. And in twenty. 10 i uh went back to the same company and they were doing a Formula one site so i just started to do blogs for them it was just like a little ad hoc thing after a season there i decided to start branching out it contacted badger which i'd been to an event for at the end of the uh that season i went, I went to the 2010 brazilian grand prix event in london um and got chatting to adam and next thing i know he was like saying i'll send you some stuff for writing and then i ended up writing for him for two years and then uh, Adam and I, a few people came and went, and it was just really Adam and myself left, and we just sort of started to formulate plans of what to do, and became I became ed- editor and content writer, tweeter, and just started to just get people involved. People started to email Adam, and then he, Adam would copy me onto the emails, and then he would say, "I'd love to write for you." So much like like Rob did last year, sent me a few emails saying I'd love to get involved. 
here's some ideas I've got. I'd email back and say, put some stuff together. Let's see what you can do. And luckily Rob could do it quite well. So he's stayed along <laughs> on board for a long time. Um, and that's how we build it. We give people a platform and an opportunity to showcase their talent and their skills. And if they want to do it for a season, they can, um, and even longer. So like, say if I wrote to you and said, oh, you know, I'm really good at mostly hanging out on your message boards and just telling you you're doing everything wrong. You're saying you could find a place for that. If you could justify yourself <laughs> in an email in quite a way, then yes. But um, it'd have I'm to be constructive, really good Matt. I know that you can be very blunt and direct, so you wouldn't get a reply. <laughs> well, speaking on that uh, topic, Craig, before we go back to a bit more news. So, you know, this is an open platform. We, we do have, you know, potential guys out there who love doing a bit of blogging. And if they wanted to get the attention of the Badger GP editor and, and say to him, I want my stuff, you know, on your site, what's the best way to go about that? So you can email me at Craig at BadgerGP.com and I'll get back to you within 48 hours. Um, I do appreciate that people will respond to that by saying, I'd love to write for you. And that would be the email. Um, <laughs> be prepared to submit some work and just show me what you've got, really, because um i can offer a platform and i can offer a, a way for you to get your name out there but i can also offer a platform for you to get your opinions across which is what we want to do more than anything else if you've got an opinion that you think is justified then i will look at it and discuss it with you um i know that may attract some people that are very pro lewis hamilton which is fine he's you just brilliant. don't get too nasty and you'll be fine <laughs> with it <laughs> Greg, um, we're going to come back to a bit more of uh, Badger GP stuff, but I think for now, we're going to let Matt lead us through a bit more Formula One news. Big Dirty News. Matt, where do you want to start? Do you want to take us through the techie, techie suspension thingy, what's it, or the, oh my God, what are we doing here? Are we testing or are we testing the crash barriers or the wet tires? Well, now, you're taking away my made-up headlines. I think we should start with the first race of the year, which will be in Melbourne. And as we all know, Ferrari requested a clarification of the suspension. Specifically, they were uh, not necessarily accusing other teams, but saying, we've noticed that we can tweak hydraulic suspension to have sort of uh, an arrow effect. And uh, would you consider that legal? To which the answer was no. But the clarification was we we do not believe either Red Bull or Mercedes are guilty of that particular thing. And their hydraulic, their, their plans have already been approved. And they can go ahead and build the cars they were planning to build. Now it's turning out, and maybe Chris Stevens has a little more detail on this, that there could well be a protest about the Red Bull and or Mercedes car in Melbourne, as apparently that might not have been the answer that Ferrari were shopping for. Well, it's, it's no surprise, really, that Ferrari are unhappy with the result they were given, because this uh, very clever suspension design is what put Mercedes and Red Bull ahead of Ferrari in 2015 and, and 16, eventually. So uh, they want them brought back to where they are, um, which... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You know, that's one way of going about uh, winning world championships. Um, and it, it, it's, you know, it's not a new thing. <laughs> uh, plenty of teams have done it in the past, but... Uh, to go back to the protest, um, I'm, I have to disappoint you and say that I don't have an, an awful lot of details on it at this point. All we sort of really know is that it's it could be happening, it probably will happen, in all honesty. Oh, so you think the protest will definitely happen then? It, it, probably. I'm not going to say definitely, but Ferrari are unhappy about something, and usually Ferrari get their way because I, they're Ferrari. I, Ferrari are unhappy about how badly their car is turning out this year. Yeah, Rob. Well, I would say normally when you get to the stage of pre-season and you start to hear rumblings about someone complaining about another team, it normally indicates that they haven't got what they're complaining about. So I think it's safe to say that Ferrari don't have that. Um, I mean, to be honest, if you go back here, last 20 years, it's been quite a few situations where we've turned up in Melbourne. I think the biggest one that I can remember is... um, uh, McLaren in 98 turning up and they and they they found that second or third pedal and uh, th- that was a monumental uh, complaint uh, but I, I think you know basically what will probably happen is there'll be a clarification of the rules as is often the case Ferrari will be told to dry their eyes and, and develop their own version of it so I'll throw this out there to you then is this the long-term effect of seeing Ferrari spun off from Fiat Chrysler. And is this Marchionne saying, this is it, you now must live with a budget? Craig? I'm an 80s kid. I saw Ferrari do this all the way through the late 80s, mid 90s. They, If they don't like something, they're very vocal about it. If it's not going very well, they're very vocal about it. Head start to roll. This is just Ferrari for me. Yeah, and, and this comes on the heels of news about their arrow and about their chassis i mean i've seen stories out on on speculation sites that their arrow is significantly worse than it needs to be due to the effect of allison leaving so such that we might even see a b-spec engine or a b-spec car halfway through the season and if that's the case is this really any surprise at all uh maybe the trouble is, like with Ferrari, they've never had any stability. Once they came out of the Schumacher era, they they're still trying to get F1 to drop the testing bands. They can carry on using that test track of theirs, and they just never got their heads around the aero side of it, the technical side of it. They never got it under one one guy. They've never gone 
outside of an Italian base, uh, really since Rory Byrne and Ross Braun. So it's it's just Ferrari being Ferrari. I have to keep repeating that because that's, <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Yeah, but there is some bright, some good news. There's a bright light on the horizon. Ferrari is actually first in something this year. Go for it. They've had the first Formula One crash of the year, and their star <laughs> Sebastian Vettel was at the wheel, so it could not be better for them. Oh my God, they are pony rampante, according to Matthew Graff in the chat room. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, then let's go to Chris Stevens then. Tell us what happened to poor Mr. Vettel. Yeah, so uh, Pirelli were conducting a wet weather tyre test at Fiorano uh, with the modified 2015 car, the SF15T, see I know car names as well. Um, Don't care about them, I just have to know them. Um, (laughs) So they had um, Sebastian Vettel driving on the um, Thursday and uh, unfortunately there was a bit of an incident where he spun, hit the barriers and um, caused quite a lot of damage um, to the car, so much so that they weren't able to get it repaired for the second day of the test. So... Uh, their third driver, Antonio Giovinazzi, um, who you may remember from GP2 last year, um, yeah. didn't get to drive the car. Um, but the kind of big thing about this test was that it was um, it, it was to further test and analyze the new wet tires, which, like the slicks, are not only wider, but uh, in response to a lot of the driver's criticisms uh, of the wet tire last year, they've uh, fiddled about with the compound, the construction to try and uh, get the tires to warm up quicker so that they uh, have a larger operating window as well. And it's kind of in conjunction with this new rule coming in for 2017 of standing starts after safety cars as well. Is so that it happening? means you're going to have starts without tire blankets. Wow. Okay. And uh, this is a Pirelli test, yeah? Pirelli test. Is it true Pirelli. that when he crashed, he came over the radio and insulted Paul Henry? Is that true? No? <laughs> uh, I'd uh, I'd love to ask Ferrari that. <laughs> so then, so but not so. Is it is it Matt gone gone? He blamed it on Noreen Carthagena. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fantastic, fantastic. So the chat room were asking, Matt, because, you know, we rarely delve into the politics of things and, you know, the ins and outs of the minutiae of the world stage, but they're asking if we're going to talk about Sochi funding. Do you have an opinion on this? Yeah, well, it turns out that paying for Trump and Brexit and all that other <laughs> stuff has cost rather a lot more money than the Russians anticipated. And as a result, the funding for the Sochi race is now entirely in private hands. And that throws into question whether or how long it may continue on the current calendar. We don't know the answer to that just yet. But, you know, the track record of races that don't have government support is pretty non-existent. They pretty much all go under pretty rapidly. Okay, and that's all I know about that. I mean, uh, okay, in that case, let's go to Rob Watts. I want your opinion on, I totally can remember, I want your opinion on uh, the assertion (laughs) that Pat Simmons is saying that the new rules won't stop processional racing in F1. And that's the big fear we have. And for me, it can go one of two ways. On the face of it, there's a lot more aero, there's a lot more turbulence, it's going to make it harder to follow. The other part of me is thinking these cars are going to be five seconds a lap faster based on whatever, you know, uh, start line you want to go from. And they're going to be a lot harder to drive. So we might just have people who are less good at driving a car as they appeared before. So, you know, which which way do you think it's going to go? Are we going to end up in 90s style uh, processions, Rob? It's very difficult to say. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about it, you know, that a lot of people think that maybe F1 have gone in the wrong direction. 
Um, I, I personally like the, you know, the move towards big fat tires. Uh, I'm all for that. But then, you know, the, putting more aero in the car, it doesn't, it doesn't really solve the problem that we've got. It's very difficult to follow another car. And I think, you know, the, the fact that we're going to spend sometimes 70% of the lap at some circuits flat out. Yeah. Potentially, we could see less opportunities to overtake. So uh, it's really difficult to say. It's hard, isn't it? Because basically, by doing more aero and wider tyres, you're making the turns less hard. You're effectively straightening out every corner in F1. And what's the interesting part of F1? Well, it's the corners. Absolutely. But uh, let's face let's face facts, such as they are. The last time Formula <laughs> One almost did this right was when they had the overtaking working group. And they sat down and they studied it carefully and they came up with a nice set of recommendations, some of which were implemented and some of which were gone back to and implemented. The changes they've made for this season are based almost entirely on aesthetics and the utterly mistaken notion that by piling on downforce and going to wider tires, yeah. They could change the point at which aerodynamic forces stopped acting on mechanical grip. But the fact is they haven't moved that point at all. So the end mm -hmm. result is you're going to have shorter braking zones, yeah. which means that you have less opportunity to pass under braking. And the only bright spot, such as it is, is that because they increase the amount of petrol allowed to 105 liters, but they've not increased the amount of energy allowed, which is the opposite of what you would expect in a formula focused on efficiency, but hey, whatever. Because they've done that, it is now entirely possible that if drivers miss driving to their regen targets, and let's keep in mind that more time wide open throttle means less regenerative braking and less MGUH, it's possible that they will drive into energy black holes, which means that we're going to see more D-rate passes. Like, think of Rosberg at the beginning of Barcelona, where his car suddenly went, I'm out of energy because you left me in a wrong mode, and Hamilton tried to get around him. So we could see more stuff like that. We could see some increased variability in, in finishes, but that's all very speculative. It's based on simulation and not actually seeing drivers on track. Fact is, we don't really know what's going to happen. But it doesn't look like they've done anything to help passing occur. I understood right. none of that. Rob, say things I understand. Speak in short sentences. <laughs> um, I, I think, um, you know, the, the, the whole move to sort of, you know, change the regulations, put more downforce in the car, make the cars quicker. To me, it's, it's just it's a knee jerk reaction. Uh, to, you know, a couple of years ago when, you know, GP2 was only like two seconds slower and people were saying that's ridiculous. You know, Formula One has to be much quicker than that. It's a knee-jerk reaction. The thing is, okay, let's make the cars five seconds a lap faster. Who cares? I mean, Chris, who, you know, follows two wheels as well as four, would probably, you know, agree with me on this. You know, you watch a MotoGP race, sometimes they're 20 seconds a lap slower than an F1 car, but, you know, you wouldn't say they're less spectacular to watch uh, for me i just think the remit the remit was very simple which is to make the cars faster it was not to improve overtaking so uh my problem with it is that you have the really uh intricate and complicated power units sat in the back of these cars and they have to switch to engine mode to engine mode at different parts of the lap on top of more physically stronger for physically harder cars to drive so you've got these drivers having to run several different engine modes in, in the back of their heads while also trying to wrestle these monster of cars through the corners the results are going to be dictated on who makes the less mistakes 
mentally and physically this year, which isn't not close to racing. You're not going to have cars going flat out next to each other. You're going to have cars maybe just slowing down quickly because someone's missed a gear somewhere. And the chat room seems to agree with you. Uh, Firstly, On The Gas says Matt is wrong. The overtaking working group was inconclusive because they weren't able to complete their studies. Uh, Matthew Graff says fatigue will play a part in the beginning of the season. And I think, I think, yeah, in the beginning, that's right. And, um, Heartbreak Ridge is saying, yes, the chatter about the greater physical demands leading for, t- for fatigue and thus mistakes as a race goes on is interesting. But I think it will just be at the beginning of the season because these are all young men. If they need to get fitter quicker, they will. They will simply have guys in to come in and make them fitter and stronger. Chris. I think that uh, there is a, a tiny shred of hope in that um, some of the design of the larger wings, you know, the front and rear wings, uh, was to create less wake, which is the, the thing that's been making it very difficult these past few years for cars to follow each other closely. Um, uh, that said as well, because the rear wings are bigger and producing more downforce, uh, it would be safe to assume that DRS will be more powerful uh, this year. So that could have an impact in it as well. But the thing for me to kind of look out for is because we are now getting tyres that drivers will actually be allowed to push on. And I think the yes, tyres were probably key. part of the reason why drivers were so... Uh, well, I think the drivers were up for it. It was the engineers who didn't want them to race. Um, the they were told to just kind of hold station. Now that we've got tires they can actually push on, uh, they should be able to um, kind of go for things a little bit more. But to go back to what Matt was saying about the uh, energy recovery systems, the fact that it's harder to provide that energy now from the energy recovery systems because of the shorter braking zones, are we simply trading off uh, you know, one limiting factor in the tires for another? in the energy recovery systems. And before you answer yourself, ask yourself <laughs> who has by far the best energy recovery in in phase systems. Sauber? No. Uh Mana? Uh no. Caterham. Not even on the map. Is it Mercedes? It is. <laughs> and if you look at the biggest difference from Renault to Mercedes, it had to do with the yeah, the energy. And is that going to be the thing that determines the winner? Oh, my goodness. Could we see another year of Mercedes just driving off again because of this? <laughs> I don't know. Duh. But Chris Stevens looks like he has an opinion. There is a dispute about who has the best energy recovery systems because some clever people out there, and believe me, you won't think they're clever when you hear this, but trust me, they, they are clever people, think Honda have the best energy recovery systems. I know your eyes are widening massively but there was a big sort of report about this about halfway through the season last year that actually honda have uh leveled mercedes in terms of the ers and that is why they would suddenly lose 200 horsepower after completing two straight laps at full chat yes all right renetta in the chat room says i'm actually for more downforce and speed but using wings is not a good solution for me what makes f1 exciting is the technological innovation uh, so it's the peak of motorsport. Uh, Renetta actually makes a very, 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 very good point there. Because well done, Renetta. The downforce, great. But uh, wings are not the only way to make downforce. There are much more efficient ways of making downforce that don't make cars incredibly difficult to follow. When It's very interesting because when the um, 
turbo regulations were first announced way back in 2010, 2011 sort of time. They sort of make the rumblings there. Ground effect was mentioned. They were going to put ground effect vortices underneath the cars. So that something like that, which creates downforce in the way that makes them faster through the corners, would also mean that the wake would be less um, disruptive to cars behind them. So therefore, you're going to have closer racing that way. And for some reason, they disappeared off the off the regulations that time around. But if you look at the cars back back in the early 80s that were covered in ground effect, the speed they were quartering at was phenomenal. Okay, we're running short on time now. So guys, so I'm going to go to the journos among us, to Craig, to uh, Rob, and to uh, Chris. I know Chris. Uh, before we talk about some more uh, Badger stuff, what what are the big news stories? Because obviously this is a very, very dry time. What are the big news stories we're looking for in the next two weeks if we're going to have a, a podcast in two weeks' time? Well, you're going to be on launch season by that point, so you're going to have the rest of the... Oh, we're well, going to have the cars passing their crash tests, which is always oh, this time of year, which is really dry. It's a really dry time of year, and then these ones start popping up. You're going to see a lot of drivers showing how hard they're working on the training schedules for their Instagram accounts through different filters, and you're going to have rumors of liveries. It's just going to be really dry this time of year. But Liberty is the big thing at the moment for me. Everything I'm talking about Liberty, they, they've ousted Bernie. That's quite a big thing. They're talking about having 21 Super Bowls, which for me is ridiculous. You can have 21 Grand Prix, not 21 Super Bowls. But it, it's it, whatever they're going to announce in the next few months, ready for, or the next couple of weeks, ready for Melbourne, is going to be really interesting because if they start to really push their or have aggressive push on the uh, digital media and social media platforms, we could see a really different sport in three weeks' time. Okay, well, talking about um, F1 and coverage of F1 in the off season is a really good link back into what I want to talk to you about when we cover a bit more Badger stuff. So let's go there now. Let me take this opportunity to point you towards all the Missed Apex things that we do. So firstly, you can join the Missed Apex Facebook group. Unfortunately, you have to type in the whole thing, Missed Apex Podcast on Facebook. That's a really nice community of guys um, where, and girls as well, where we talk about F1, where we post new stories that interest us. And crucially, on race day, that we, we get a lot of chatter going on race day, and I will rip off the cleverest things you say in those chats and pass them off as my own during the race review uh what else have we got going on we have a slack group for patrons now i've just discovered slack and it is actually a very useful thing it makes matt very angry because matt struggles to sign into it no this it happens that the android platform had particularly poor (laughs) grammar in their choice of terms those of us who are properly educated so so it wasn't you it was the tools darn you tools you've scuppered me once again well, now you can make fun of me all you like, but Thank I you. signed in on three <laughs> platforms and Android was the only one that asked for the information in the specific way that I found confusing rather than enlightening. Uh, so, but the Slack group is for patrons. So all you have to do to join that group is contribute as little as $1 a month to Patreon. If you go to patreon.com, I think it's forward slash map or forward slash Mr. Apex podcast. Uh, but if you want to support the podcast, we really, really appreciate that. And then we'll send you out an email invitation to join that Slack group. And that Slack group is now open on my desktop. For example, P. Wright is saying, does anybody have a recommendation on where to go for the best live text coverage of F1 testing? Now, I don't know the answer to that. So it was useless in this case, but at least you got my attention very quickly. Oh, Chris Stevens knows. Right here. Right, with me, I should say. <laughs> so people basically yeah. follow Chris Stevens. Is that what you're saying? I love that. Please do. 
No, the best live coverage is on is Auto Motor Unsport plus Google Translate. It is the funniest thing you have ever read in your life. Okay, so yeah, so that's the Slack group. That's Patreon. Uh, we covered the Facebook group. Uh, follow Mist Apex uh, at Mist Apex F1. And crucially, the pinned tweet on Mist Apex F1 will give you the instructions on how to subscribe. I can see from my figures. The figures on the downloads are fairly consistent. There's a big chunk of you, though, that wait for me to tweet out or put out onto social media before finding the episode. I am unreliable. I am an unreliable source of information. Please go to the pin tweet and subscribe so that you get the podcast delivered to you hot and fresh whenever we do it. And lastly, uh, find the Spanners Ready channel on YouTube. And that will be the best way to get alert to when we're going live. We're going to try and be really consistent this year and do 8 p.m. GMT starts or uh, BST, British summertime in the summer. But UK time, 8 p.m. is when we are going to go to start all our live streams. So that's 8 p.m. plus the time it takes Matt for a- to actually you know, sort his stuff out. So let's go to Craig Norman then. What is the biggest challenge over the off season? We've just, we've not given up, but we've said, look, Every two weeks is is the right amount of time to do a show because there just isn't that much F1 content in the off-season. I mean, how do you guys get by? Do you, do you just abandon it for the off-season or do you think, right, let's, you know, little by little? Well, it changes year by year depending on who's around to contribute. Um, the, every December we try and do an advent calendar type um, oh, yeah, saw that. Yep. Uh, style thing on social media. So we highlight 30 well, how like 25 articles across the space of the year that we really enjoyed. And we, we, every single day, we sort of promote them on Twitter and Facebook. And that worked really well this year. Um, we try to, if nothing, if no one's around to really write anything, we tend to just hibernate, which is great. We're having a name like Badger GP. We tend yes. to just disappear for a little bit. And no one minds but, um, too much, do they, in the off season, really? It's, it's around sort of late February, people start looking for their F1 sources again. I think it's like January. As soon as Autosport Show comes along, Autosport International starts up. You're like, you're like, this is this is it. The season's about to start now, and you get a lot of a lot of hype around that. Um, but in we tend to sort of go down the route of um, historical pieces. If there's any anything anyone around to write stuff, we or we start resharing stuff because the history of Formula One never changes. So you've got those great little stories and nuggets and tidbits that you can share over and over again. So it's. It's uh, it is challenging. I will not lie. It is very challenging. And sometimes I will sit there and think, do I just wait until March? But it's um, <laughs> it's one of the hardest things, I'd say. It's probably maybe a little bit easier for you guys as a sort of fanzine that you're not kind of expected to be That's, producing yeah. hard hitting news and content. Because at Formula <laughs> Spy, we have a target of, you know, an article a day, mm. uh, which in the off season gets pretty, pretty difficult. Um, yeah, and it's I completely agree with that. If yeah. you if you um, commit yourselves to being up to date with all the news stories, then you're you're building a you're making your bed and lying in it really because some days you do not get any news stories. Um, the 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 problem is with current media is that Formula One is not a twenty four hour sport. It's not like football. It's not like it's not like many other sports. In the fact that you're going to get ten stories a day, you're going to get two or three matches to to report on. You're going to get 20 Grand Prix to report in across the space of seven, eight months. And then you don't have much either way. So it's, it's hard to find a way to be relevant every single day. But if you know where to, what to do and you've got a good idea of how your strategy of your content is going to be, you can do it. But history is your friend when it comes to November to March or November to January. History is your biggest friend. 
Oh, I was on mute. I did the thing. I did the thing I yell at you all for, so you can all berate me uh, in in the appropriate fashion. So here's what I'm curious about, because, you know, I will occasionally put pen to paper. You know, I've done blogging, not to have a regular blog myself, but I've had articles, you know, um, submitted in various friendly places. I tend to take maybe a few more edits than other people. Um, But the challenge of actually putting a blog together, it's all fine and well having your opinion. You know what you want to say, but, but how about, you know, making it, from that initial idea to a finished article and making it readable from someone with your experience it would be great to hear like how how do you go about just you know structuring that and making it not just look like here's what i reckon it was a conspiracy <laughs> it's um i'd say probably like 90% of my job at the moment is of what i do with badger at the moment is reading what people have submitted to me and then editing it so i completely agree i can see where you're coming from with that but it's giving them the constructive feedback about it as well. I think myself as Spanners have talked about a few articles in the past that he's had on his site, just sort of just getting a general overview on it all. And yeah. it's, you have to sort of, you have to structure it in a way that's easy for people to read. And if you're just going to write 60 words about how Lewis Hamilton is God, then so you're not going to get that many eyes to it. <laughs> but if you can write something that's, if you're going to build facts around that, you know you can build a great case about how Lewis Hamilton is a fantastic Formula One driver, but you 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 need to be balanced as well. And I think there's so many different things you need to be looking for in a good article that um you you have to be you have to be quite ruthless when it comes to editing about it all as well and be honest with them. So it's it's structuring is probably the hardest thing I'd say. So do you kind of get people to? maybe lay out their points in bullets first and then expand on them or you know do you tell them oh it's story mode beginning middle and end you know what what do yeah. you, what do you do what do you put on the paper first paper <laughs> lol so if i go <laughs> if i look at i still use pen and paper i'm a very hipster journalist i use a i've got a biro and a pad of paper and uh, I've got old if great. i was to write something myself i'd be the main point would be in the title and then i try and break down the stats and the facts and then build themselves around it because you need the evidence. Every article you write, if you're going to write an opinion piece, it's a court case. You need to bring the evidence to the table. If you don't bring it, there's no case. So bring bring the evidence along and be prepared to argue the point as well. Um, and that's you, how I do it, just bullet points and go that way. You almost have to anticipate the arguments that are going to come back against you and then try and aggress, uh, sort of, um, address them beforehand you know so you let the reader pose a, a question to your article and then kind of anticipate that and then answer it in subsequent paragraphs kind of yeah and the internet is a weird and wonderful place as well so you're not going to be able to meet every single one of those arguments as well you know what the main counterpoint is going to be but some people could be extremely left field when it comes to pointing out criticisms in an article i think uh so uh rob rob could talk about it in a bit more detail but his interview with adam manish got some great responses on on reddit um, but there was one response on it that was just nuts. Yeah, that was a really interesting one, actually, because as Craig says, sometimes you get people who will, you know, give uh, quite obvious objections to a certain piece that you write. But this this one guy on uh, Reddit, um, basically, long story short, I interviewed Adam McNish. Uh, we talked a little bit about his time at Toyota in the early 2000s. And as we know, Toyota was a massive, expensive disaster. Um, <laughs> so... Alan Manish made some interesting points and, and this all went into the interview which got published. And then this guy on Reddit basically uh, argued my that my points weren't really valid. Uh, to, he told me to go and read some F1 magazines from around the time and get myself educated. Uh, but I, I made the point that Alan Manish was actually driving for Toyota. So I think his 
his kind of recollection of events is fairly reliable. But uh, <laughs> this guy was <laughs> having none of that. But you know, it, it, you 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 accept that sometimes. You know, you I, can't I, please everyone. Actually, I mean, dealing with F one trolls is is a great subject. So I ju- I just go around the table and see how we deal with F one trolls. Now, Chris, firstly, when we were talking about how you structure and how you go about articles, obviously for you it's a bit different. It's Control C. Click on where you want to put it. Control V. Uh, you know, so there are subtle, subtle differences. How dare you? He's oh. not denying it. <laughs> so how do you deal that with how do you deal shocking. with trolls? Because you know you definitely get trolls. Because I mean, because your your opinions are, are terrible a lot of the time. And I know in the chat room you've had more abuse than anyone. Oh yeah. Strangely, from the same individuals usually. <laughs> It's usually the same people who keep cropping up. And the, the wonderful thing about posting in sort of Facebook groups as well is that you'll find just so many different sorts of people who are just willing to call you out on absolutely anything, even if it is 100% factually correct. Um, it's quite funny. Um, you do have to, you know, stay professional in those circumstances. Uh, I would say, unfortunately, because sometimes you do just you you want to just let loose you know you see people lose it on twitter all the time and i've been there you know yeah i I, I understand it i really do want to rip into people sometimes Uh, matt has been around for a thousand years and in that thousand years matt i have seen some amazingly horrendous comments on articles you've had and dude you are not like your responses are not hmm yes that's very interesting and while i respect your point of view here's my counterpoint no, no, no. You've dealt with it very differently in your time, Matt. Well, n- to be fair to me, which, you know, since it's my universe, being fair to me is the number one principle. I, I never start out assuming anything other than the person posting has a difference of opinion or has a different understanding of the issues I'm, dis- I'm discussing. And I am have and have always been happy to acknowledge any errors I, mista- I, I might make in anything that I write because of the manner and time pressures under which I write, I occasionally get things wrong, and it's okay. I get things wrong, happy to own up to it. However, there are certain people that used to orbit me um, (laughs) who delighted in purposefully misunderstanding everything that I wrote to the point where I was simply forced to tell them what I thought of them with absolutely no filter, which I will point out is exactly what I'd be happy to do in real life should they want to come around and discuss it with me in person (laughs) over a pint at our local pub. Rob, let's get a little view of how you deal with trolls then. So how did you respond to these, you know, these these bad people? I I think really you do, as Chris said, you do really have to kind of bite your tongue sometimes. There's been a few people in the past that I really have wanted to kind of, you know, tell them where to relocate (laughs) to. But um, you kind of you kind of just have to say uh, you you always have to be a bit a bit wimpy about it and say you know thanks for your comment you know really appreciate feed no you don't feedback because, <laughs> well you all. know what it, it, it's kind not of at all no you do not have to take that abuse <laughs> this is what i am saying well i don't have to but that is often my approach you know because i think you know we all know some people who are angsty on social media and, and it sometimes doesn't come across well so I, you know, I, I try to not make enemies if I can. I mean, I know you're I'm looking. Not as bad I know, as crazy I know you're shying looking... away from opinions, but you know, I. <laughs> I know, Rob. I know you're looking at your webcam, but it feels like you're lo- looking directly at me when you talk about angsty uh, on Twitter. But look, I can go either way, <laughs> not at all. I, and I do do that. I will do the, you know, I get really upset, and then I'll count to ten and go, 
um, thank you very much for your feedback. Uh, I, I understand your opinion and thanks for listening. And I'll take that on board. And that does happen occasionally. But there are other times where I'm gone, you what? You, you what? I'm trying really hard. All you can do is criticize me. And it gets to you. And who knows why? Because I think, you know, especially people who were raised in the 70s, 80s, 90s, without Twitter, without this social media, we're used to face-to-face confrontations. And I think we, te- we treat a lot of these trolley comments the same way we would um, just in real life. Because you would get upset if someone was that abusive in real life. And we can't make that adjustment always, can we, Craig, to say... Actually, no, this, is, this, is the, agree. this is the internet and this is a completely different thing and we have to give less weight to those negative comments. Well, I, I try to kill them with kindness or <laughs> with stone cold facts, to be honest. That's the only way you can do it. It's just, the, the, I've had two that I sort of come to mind. I have gone off on people on Twitter and I won't apologise for that because they deserved it. <laughs> but one guy, uh, we posted an article last year about Jensen Button's top five drives, which was great. You know, it's, Jensen Button's a great racing driver and he has had five great victories to his name. So we've put them in order. And there was this sort of 10 tweet tirade saying that um, this writer is obviously very biased towards Jensen Button and very negative towards Lewis Hamilton because he's probably one of those people that thinks Jensen Button scored more points than Lewis Hamilton in their time together. And then you look at the facts and you're like, Jensen Button did score more points than Lewis Hamilton in their time together. But all his all of his arguments was hypothetical. That his engine broke down here, his car, he didn't get a good practice session there, he tweeted the telemetry there. All these different things were all hypothetical reasons of why he didn't beat Lewis, uh, Jensen Button at that race. And he did massive tweet tirade, massive like burst of tweets going towards us and our website. And at the end of it, I just put, but he did score more points than him. And it all went a bit quiet. After that, so you could do it that way. And the other guy was, you know, we picked our drivers of the year last year, and we do like a round table, and uh, there's a points tally at the end of it. So you put your five drivers in order, and the person at the end of it has the most points. And Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen came out as joint winners at the end of our our uh, poll last year, which just the way the the numbers fell. There's no bias there. And um, some guy went mad at me about it, saying that where do we get our writers from? It's it's a terrible disgrace of a decision. And one of our guys put, you could put Lewis Hamilton at the top of the pile or you could put him off the, the outside the top five. And, you know, you can see his point for saying that because Hamilton maybe didn't drive at his maximum at some races last year. I could see that. But it, it's to have him basically call us all out on it and then I called him out on it by tweeting it and it all got a bit nasty. But it's just something that... It, you can be the bigger man and and decide not to do anything about it, but it's a very emotional response ultimately. Uh, do you know what? It's, to be, I would love to be the bigger man about it, but but more often than not, I I just engage. And you go, well, do you know what? Maybe that's okay too. Maybe if someone comes on the internet and criticizes your work, it's okay to kind of just you know do a bit of a duel with them. And you know maybe there's just a line that you don't cross, like. Uh, you know, comparing them to Hitler or criticizing their mother. But I think it's okay. I think it's okay to fight back. If you're not Chris Stevens, it's okay to, you know, fight back and show a bit of cojones. Uh, but look, if anything, you're a little bit more respected if you do it, Chris, just so you know. Look, the <laughs> chat room is saying this episode on the gas is saying, so this episode is three times longer given the little F1 news. Cut it down to 20 minutes and be ruthless. Well, yeah, there is that. But at least we got to chat to our friends at Badger gp.com but i think we're going to move on now we're going to wrap up the show but not before we find out what is comment of the week matt trumpets you've been monitoring the chat room what is the comment of the week this week it it was challenging i mean because of course first of all i had to confit i had to consider 
uh, Nick Sylvain's comment that I had the best hair. Okay, that does show a bit of bias, to be honest. And we have to say hi to Clara, who was just lurking and jumped into the chat room to say hello. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and again, lurk away. You might notice a theme to these comments. It was a heartbreak saying uh, that I wasn't a murderer, but perhaps a confidence man. Have I have I made a massive mistake by allowing you to do comment of the week? No, because I'm not done yet. He also had a very very good comment. That the that sigh. This means the only hope for a competitive grid is Red Bull. Yes, uh, no, that's true. Response Ferrari discussion, but I think he wins for yes. Fun to rag on Ferrari, but perhaps it's just that the Pirelli wets continue to suck. <laughs> and that is this week's comment of the week. You know, I've seen more than one or two people now who have in their Twitter handles. Uh, X many times winner of Missed Apex comment of the week. This pleases me greatly, Matt. And it should. It is a thing. And I'm glad to see the uh, participants in the chat room fully getting into the spirit of the thing. Many, many thanks to our guests. It's been absolutely fantastic to get an insight into Badger GP. Craig Norman, thank you very much, not only for this week, but for supporting Missed Apex with uh, many appearances and support of Badger GP. Great to have you on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Point the billion listeners to wherever you are. So I'm personally on Twitter at, um, at CraigNormanF1. Uh, you can also find BadgerGP on Twitter at, at BadgerGP. Go to BadgerGP.com for all our latest articles, including a fantastic interview with John Surtees um, celebrating his 83rd birthday yesterday. And then if you go on there, it's about 80% Rob Watts at the moment with interviews with Louis Goodman, Alan McNish, uh, and yeah, many others that, that he'll point out when I um when I finish. You know when you do a great post on uh, on Twitter and then you don't get a reply, you wonder if you've upset someone. You posted that you tried to recreate Nico Rosberg's slightly lent back smiling pose with his arms crossed, and I I said that perhaps yeah. centers of gravity may vary. And I just want to know if we're still cool, bro. Yeah, we're still cool. <laughs> Rob Watts, podcasting virgin, you've come on here and we've been gentle with you. But where can our fine listeners? catch up with more of your work on the internet uh you can find me on uh twitter uh at rob watts f1 um you can find me on badgergp.com as craig has mentioned there's quite a lot of my content floating around on there at the your moment workhorse so uh yeah go and go and read all of it catch up with rob he's got the friendliest face in the world if you go and find his social profile he like glasses beard you look at that guy and you go if he was my mate, he would he would definitely pick me up off the street and put me in a taxi. Chris Stevens. Chris Stevens, where can people find you, son? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at cstevens underscore journo. Find my written work at formulaspy.com. Uh, I've got a bike show on Downforce Radio now, The Lean Angle. Uh, you can follow that at Lean Angle Pod as well. And uh, probably on the e-radio show because we've got the Buenos Aires e-prix in a week's time. So, yay, lots of busy stuff. Ah, Formula E, that takes me back. Happy memories of a time long, long ago. When will they sort their calendar out, Chris? 18 weeks between races is dumb. It, it's, it's been my biggest criticism of the sport for many a year now. Map trumpets. Plug stuff. What is Formula E? <laughs> I can't remember. Where's my gyro? Do I get a discount on this bus pass? I have a coupon for a single piece of fruit. It's sad. I do get discounts because of my age now. This is true. Where, where can people find true. you on the internet? 
You can find me at MattPT55 on the Twitters, which is where my wife generally goes to look for me these days. And of course, you can always go out and buy one of her books, Amanda Weaver. And if you want to do Missed Apex a favor, you can go to SpannersReady.com, click the link there, and buy a book so that your significant other leaves you alone while you listen to our podcast. And then she will seek relations with you afterwards. On a personal note, um, our, our downloads for Mr. Apex podcast have been going really well. I'm absolutely delighted. So thank you to everyone who shares our tweets. Um, if you can just tell a friend, tell your colleague that when you find, want to listen to F1 content in podcast form, you listen to Mr. Apex podcast. You know, the guy next to you that, that has terrible opinions and thinks that Vettel is genuinely a four times world championship or that the 2016, uh, world championship wasn't fixed. It definitely was. Here's the rustle of my tinfoil hat. T- tell your friends, uh, tell your mum, tell your dad, have a post on Facebook. We really appreciate that stuff. Um, we hear whispers of, um, who listens and who doesn't. Uh, if you're in the F1 media, if you're working for an F1 team and you listen, uh, pop me a line, say hello. Uh, it's lovely to know who's listening to us and uh, something I've been enjoying even in the off season has been people uh, what was the phrase Chris slipping into my DM yes slipping into your DMs that was a phrase that young people used for a few months a couple of years ago Oh, those young people I wish they'd get off my lawn uh, but I do I really enjoy it when people uh, send me a, a direct message or um, email me at spannersready at gmail.com or send me personal messages through the Facebook group um, missed apex podcast um so all of that is is absolutely fantastic I, I enjoy that interaction uh so we'll see you in two weeks time and in that time please remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory last forever this was missed apex and badgergp.com You know those people who were saying that we'd run long? I mean, the time really flies if you just get very, very drunk. Top tip. You can take that to the bank, Matt. Yeah, yeah, you can. And I'm not even very drunk, but damn. Yeah, we I'm don't believe fine. you. We see the daytime in your background and you getting drunk anyway. Uh, day drunk is the best drunk. How are you feeling, Rob? Violated or, you know, j- tender and loved? <laughs> no, you're very gentle with me, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was nice. Good, good. I have a I head bang too hard. <laughs> in that last half, that last half, hour and a half, Matt, you've sort of morphed into an old hand solo in front of me. I just that's all I see when I look at you now is like an oh, old Harrison Ford. <laughs> you mean Harrison Ford now? <laughs> Hang on, I will yeah. take that. I will take that all the way to it the just, bank because there is nothing just, better. I've still got that Rebel Alliance thing in my head, like behind Trump's lines. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.